I should be writing season 19, episode 23. Hi there, welcome to I Should Be Writing. This is a podcast for wannabe fiction writers, and I am your host, Mer Lafferty. May was a big month for travel. Biggest I've had since 2020, I would say. Had to go pick up the kiddo from school, went to the nebulas, and then this past weekend, I uh, went up to the mountains of North Carolina to see my dad and stepmom and uh, my high school friends were throwing a 50th birthday party for everybody. And so I, I went there and saw some people I hadn't seen since I was 18. No, wait, no. I saw them a little bit as an adult, but a young adult. When I get home, it's like I, I struggle to get my head back into whatever I was working on. And then suddenly it's the weekend again. And for me, that was more travel. But I have been writing. I got to meet my agent for the first time in person when I went to the Nebulas, and we talked about some things moving forward with my career, and that's given me a lot to think about. And I have a little bit of an announcement to make that I'm excited about, which is before the Patreon supporters were the only people who could get the over 600 episodes in my archives, and I've decided to start releasing the episodes in a throwback feed. So this will be a separate feed. It won't confuse you. You won't get, like, episode... 29, and then episode 4. You do need to subscribe to a new feed. Uh, Patreon people, you will not, for the record. But you can get the episodes starting in 2005. That was a long time ago, y'all. From when I was not, uh, when I was a kind of new podcaster and very new writer. And I'm going to be giving some commentary on some. And I'm going to be, with for some, I want to find some of my interviewees and see how they're doing now, because I interviewed some people, I've interviewed people throughout the entire life of the show, but I'm thinking about some people that I interviewed in the first year and then didn't get back to, so that's going to be fun. I'll have the link to that in the show notes, and it's just called I Should Be Writing Throwback. I did something funny today. Uh, we had people working on the house, and so I we're still very careful regarding pandemic stuff. So when we have people in the house, we go to the basement while they work. And so I don't like lugging all my crap downstairs. So I took my iPad and figured I could write on that and then transfer it over to my uh, my computer. And when I opened Scrivener, a project that I completely forgot about starting opened up. And that was, um, I started an interactive fiction with the goal of just write like a scene. Just just write a tiny bit and see if you can make it so it's interesting for each path. There were a couple of paragraphs of that, so I worked on that. I do have copy edits for Chaos Terminal Due. I should probably get to that, but it, it was fun to write today. Got several other several thousand other words on another project yesterday, and I'm hoping to be sending about 10,000 words to my agent soon, actually. So that's the accountability part of the show where I tell you that you should be writing and then tell you that it's okay, I have been too. Or, it's okay, I haven't been, and I'm still alive, and I can still write tomorrow. I'm angry because I 
had an idea in my head about what I was going to talk about, but I got a headache and it's kind of pushing out all the thoughts. I finished two books this week. I even forgot what I was going to talk about. I mentioned something in the Discord about my reading habits and they people said they would like to hear about that. <laughs> I can't remember what it was, but both of them had kind of disappointing endings and I will not put down anybody else's book on this show. But I find it I found it surprising that I was able to st stick with the book for the entire length of it and then on the last page just get either confused or angry. One thing it made me think about is some people love formulas, some people hate them because they think you're they keep you in a box and you're not able to stretch yourself artistically and probably from the tone of my voice you can consider where I stand because I see a formula for storytelling as the the structure of a house. You know, you got to have a floor and some walls and a ceiling. And after that, you can do whatever you want. Make it huge, make it tiny, make an outhouse, install plumbing, whatever. But when people think of house, they all think of the same basic thing. This shelter with floor, ceiling, and walls. And um, I'm very careful to say Western thought here, because I know there's a lot of, uh, there are different ways of storytelling in Japanese and Korean art that I'm thinking of. The hero's journey or the heroine's journey, save the cat, those all kind of stick to a structure that provides you with beats. And what we don't realize is when you're reading, you are subconsciously looking for the author to tell you what they're going to promise you. When you start a book, when you start a story, you're basically telling someone, I promise you, I'm going to tell you who the killer is. I promise you, I'm going to tell you how these two people fall in love. You don't think about this consciously, but once you get a sense of what the book is about, you think, okay, how are we going to get there? And you believe them. And the two books I, listen, I, I read and listened to were not, they didn't violate any big thing like promise to tell us the murderer and then leave it up to fate. But one of them had a pacing problem, and I was about halfway through with it, and I felt uneasy. And I think it's because I didn't have some of the story beats I was expecting. It felt, it really felt like a first or second draft, not a final draft. It was intriguing enough to keep me listening or reading, and I got to the end, but I did not, I didn't like it. And I've been trying to state why I didn't like it. Because one of the books did not have a happy ending at all. And yes, I like happy endings. I like reading as escapism from the crap we deal with every day. That's just my personal preference. But I don't have to have a happy ending. But I was wondering if the fact that one of the books did not have a happy ending was that why I didn't like it. And then I thought of Squid Game. Squid Game's been out for a couple of years. But just in case, I won't totally spoil it, but you can't really say it had a happy ending. Granted, it's hard to have any sort of battle royale story and consider it a happy ending. But I was satisfied with the end of Squid Game. And I was not satisfied with the end of this book. So I think it's the pacing. And I think for some reason I was expecting... I, I f subconsciously felt as if I had been promised one thing and it didn't deliver. And because these are all subconscious things of the way we view story, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what that is. And the other book was a fascinating framing device for the story that I'm not sure they stuck the landing. That was all. You know, when you do a story inside a story, you have to write both stories and make them both satisfying. 
which is kind of why there have been books that I've disliked one story and really liked the other one. I think the book, The Plot, fell down on this. Because when you say, I've always thought when in a book you say they had the funniest joke ever, or they had the best plot ever, that you as the author now must write that. And you've already thought of one book idea and you're working on that right now. And I'm saying the plot because it was a major release and big deal and hardcover and all that. And I'm pretty much small potatoes next to it, so I'm not too worried. But the plot was about a man who was teacher, unsatisfied writer, and he finds this really, really, really full of himself young adult who's taking his class just to network or meet agents. I can't remember what it was, but he was not... He was not there to learn. He was not there to make friends. He was just there to further his career because he had the best story in the world. It was unique. It was perfect. It was awesome. And he wouldn't tell it to anybody because they might take it. He eventually tells the the narrator and then he dies. The kid dies. The narrator decides to write the story because it was that good of a plot. And then they start writing the book. They start showing the narrator's book and it was okay. But when you say that he was convinced he would sell the book just on uh, idea alone, especially as a new novelist. And then when the narrator does it, he does sell the book just on proposal alone. Granted, he had a track record, but still, you really have to knock my socks off, number one. And number two, why aren't you writing that book? If that is the best plot that just makes people faint in pleasure. So that was setting themselves up to carry a very big weight, and I don't think they really pulled it off. I did like the main story. But telling me that this is the best plot in the world, that's that's too high of a bar. Oh, and also claiming it was a um, unique concept. We'd never heard a story like it before. It just, just, that's just too much. And I seem to remember I, I read Magpie Murders, and I found that the story, the murder mystery inside the murder mystery was more interesting. But when they did a dramatization of Magpie Murders, I did appreciate all the aspects of that story. Anyway, I'm trying to be reading a lot. I'm listening to more podcasts. I don't know why I think summer's time for reading, because I think people get that sense of the kids are out of school, so therefore everyone's going to have more time to read. Well, the kids will, and the teachers might, but the rest of us still got work to do. <laughs> but, you know, I am hoping for some good books. And if I remember what I was going to talk about, I will tell you in another episode. Hopefully this headache will go away and I'll be able to think again. You can probably tell I'm not doing this live on Twitch anymore, but I am still streaming on Twitch, either talking casually about writing or storytelling in general as I play other games. And that's twitch.tv slash But I'm excited to get to our interview now because at the Nebulas I met Arlie Sorg, who is... It's hard to say everything he's involved in. We do talk about it at the very beginning of the interview. But I've known him as part of science fiction for years. And we knew each other's names, but we didn't really, we'd never really talked a lot. And he suggested we go out for breakfast just to get to know each other. It was fascinating because he's doing pretty much everything in science fiction. And he just started becoming an agent. Or he just became an agent. I don't think the becoming is a lengthy process. But he just became an agent. And so I asked him if I could sit down and talk to him about agent life from his point of view. And also, you know, to introduce a new agent to everybody out there who's looking. 
Also, before the interview, somebody had said that he had a question for me to ask Arlie, and he didn't get it to me while I was able to get the answer from Arlie, and so I sent Arlie an email, and he recorded a quick response on his phone, which, you know, was really above and beyond. I really appreciated that. So that's going to be kind of tacked on to the end of this interview. Glad I brought my recording equipment. I'm doing an impromptu interview with Arlie Sword because uh, yesterday we, we had a really good breakfast and you told me lots of things and I think you should be on I Should Be Writing. <laughs> so, um, Arlie Sword, edit, wait, co-editor of Fantasy Magazine, yeah. senior editor of Locus, yeah. and newly minted agent, as if minting is something agents do, <laughs> but I thank you for being here, Arlie. Did I leave anything out? Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm also associate editor at Nightspeed, Lightspeed and Nightmare, and um, I have a column at FNSL. Oh, okay. Uh, called By the Numbers. Cool. And uh, I do interviews for Clark's World, and um, sometimes I do stuff on my own website. I had an interview series for a while that's on pause, but I'll probably get back to it. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's see, I thought I wore a lot of hats, and you just <laughs> wow. Um, anyway, we are here at the Nebula Conference in Anaheim. We are in the heart of the Disney hotels, which I did not expect, so there's a lot of the mouse around. Yeah. Um, and apologies for any ambient noise I'm going to try to edit out, but we are sitting outside in a lovely, lovely morning in Southern California. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for having me. I, I'm just really excited to talk to you because you, you're just a fascinating person going down many interesting <laughs> paths, but, um, and I will probably be asking you things we already talked about at breakfast, but for the benefit of the listeners, um, so when, you know, we were talking yesterday and you mentioned you have newly become an agent, I was very fascinated and wanted mm. to hear a little bit more about that, that process. Yeah. Well, um, every, literally everything I do has come out of going to conventions and knowing people and meeting people and being at the right place at the right time and just saying yes to stuff. Uh, that includes being a co-editor-in-chief at a magazine. I can track that back to going to cons and making friends without uh, without expectations, mm -hmm. but things down the line just percolating and bubbling up. And the agent thing is the same. Um, I went to a Worldcon in um, D.C. and a friend was there and I was like, hey, we should get a drink or a meal and she said oh my agent's having a cocktail party for her clients if you want to come and I went and um, me and the agent holding the party Sarah Megabo became friends like we just really clicked and to the point where I was like oh you know what I write but I'm never gonna query you I don't want it to be that kind of thing let's just be friends and not worry about that whole thing and um, we hung out a few times and talked and at one point we were having a brunch in Denver, in the Denver area, and she was like, we're talking about stuff I've done in genre, and she was like, you know what, you'd be a good agent. And I was like, what? <laughs> because it was something I had, you know, never really thought of. It was something I didn't think I could do. When you're standing on the outside of things, like being an editor, being an agent, or any number of other things, a lot of times you just don't know how to get from A to B, and so you don't see it as an option. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't know where to begin to be an agent, except that I know agents are much more organized than I am, so I would never do it, because <laughs> I would lose every client I got. But 
you're right. It's it's there, and there's no like school. You go to learn how to be an agent. Yeah, that's not how that works. Exactly. It's the same for editing. You know, you can take editing classes, but a lot of the editors who run magazines, um, a lot of them just decided to open a magazine one day, and mm-hmm. that was it. There's no board that says, oh, you have to get a certificate, otherwise you are not an editor. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work that way. The way that it works is you simply just start editing, you know, and it's really weird because people take you for an expert whether or not you actually know something, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, But yeah, the agenting thing is brand new. Sarah and I had a few more conversations, and it turns out that I definitely have demonstrated um, things that aren't necessarily teachable, that are very applicable to agent. Mm-hmm. Um, like what? Like taste, like being able to spot um, somebody who has something to say in genre, but from early work. You yeah, know? That's, that's tough. I wouldn't know how to do that. Yeah, and I, and I couldn't tell someone how I do it, but very often I've read a short story, I've read, you know, a few chapters in a book and be like, oh, yeah, this person has something. Yeah. And then, you know, later on they blow up, and I don't know how I do it, but I've definitely developed an act for it. And so, um, and I really am interested in people who have something different, a different perspective, But, you know, readability is also important. Being able to communicate with people, Mm -hmm. being able to bring something new to genre, but being able to connect with readers about that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's one of my strengths. And a lot of the other stuff uh, is teachable. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm excited. That's very cool. So you are now officially an agent at uh, KT Literary? Yes. Okay. Yeah, my title is associate agent, and it's the exact same as being a regular agent, except that um, it sort of acknowledges that I'm new to this, Mm -hmm. but I still have, you know, I can sign whoever I want, I can make deals, so it's just a way of saying, hey, we know this guy is new, Mm -hmm. but he's still a legit agent. He He has all the agent stuff that (laughs) that other agents have yeah but uh there's no official group of agents but isn't there like an ethical certification that people join i mean there are groups there are there is something like that i haven't joined it (laughs) and i think no judging i just couldn't remember what it was called i think more important is that there's predators and editors (laughs) yes (laughs) which tells you who to stay away from you know yes Uh, predators and editors and um yeah. What's the other one that Crispin and Schmidt did? Oh, I don't Strauss. remember. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Victoria Strauss. Yeah. Yeah. She got. Yeah. But um. Yeah. <laughs> we are outside at a yes, con. Yes, we are at a con and Disney. So yeah, you may hear nerds. You may hear children. <laughs> yeah, nerds, geeks, weirdos, mm-hmm. and. I'm all three. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but our agency is actually enrolled in uh, those organizations. Mm-hmm. So by extension, I'm affiliated with those. Ex- right. Even though I'm not, you know, I haven't applied to anything like that. Um, right. Writer Beware, that's what it is. It's Writer Beware. Writer Beware, right. Yes. Um, right, yeah. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Yeah, so Predators and Editors, Writer Beware, check, check both of them. If you yeah. have any questions about anybody, agent or editor or publication, you have questions you're, you're worried about, those are good places to go. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, um, and the great thing about KT Literary is they're uh, they have a really great vibe, very positive, very supportive. So it's like I have a lot of autonomy, but I also have a support network and um, resources, mm-hmm. which makes it very helpful in terms of like filling in the gaps of stuff that maybe things that I'm not used to, that I'm not that I'm less familiar with, or that I just don't know. Mm-hmm. So I um announced on my Discord that we were doing this yesterday and asked for questions. And, oh, nice. Um, but I'm recording on my phone, so I'm not sure what's going to happen when I try to go to Discord. So <laughs> we're just going to pause here, technically. I don't know if it's still recording. It might still be. But you yeah. can edit. Yeah. Yes, I can edit. Yeah. I'm just letting you know. Don't say anything terribly fascinating right now because I don't hold know. Hold on to it. Yeah, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> I'm going into Discord. It looks like we're still recording, so I might leave this in for amusement. I don't know. Um, okay, yeah. I'm going to write it down just so I don't have to go back and forth. No worries. Tell us how your con is going. Uh, it's going really well. I didn't sleep well last night, so I'm super tired, but that's pretty typical of, like, hotel sleep for me. Yeah. And it sounds like there's an alien crab in the um, in the vent trying to communicate through clicking its claws, <laughs> which did not help this morning, um, but it did make it interesting. <laughs> the the type the, the pipes make pipes start banging every time I run water and I keep thinking someone's knocking on the door every time I'm brushing my teeth or washing my hands. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting because when you walk in the room, it's really pretty. Like it looks like a really nice room, but then there are just these details that it's like, oh, there's uh, some kind of ambient noise. Yeah, but the con's really good. A lot of really cool people are here. A lot of really nice and interesting people, which is kind of what you want when you go to a con. You know, you want to be able to hang out and connect with people that um, overlap in your interests, but that can still challenge you in interesting ways. How's your con going? It's going great. Um, I didn't know a lot of I, a lot of people are here that I didn't know were going to be here. I didn't look very hard, right? But it's been really neat to reconnect with some people. Um, and you know, it's 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 just nice being at a con again. I'm I'm hoping that we're that the numbers are low enough and we're taking enough precautions to come out of this not sick. Yeah. <laughs> but. Um, uh, you know, it's it's really nice just to catch back up with people. Yeah. All right, we got some questions, and then they devolved into joke questions. If they want Evil Merge to do the interview. Evil Merge not going to do this interview. <laughs> Evil Merge is terrible, terrible writing advice. <laughs> like, like you know, my favorite Evil Merge writing advice is to follow an agent into the bathroom oh, yes. on and steal all the toilet paper or, you know, <laughs> wait until they're otherwise... A, a trapped party and and ask the question. Yeah, that's Evilmer. Evilmer will not be doing this interview. Um, so we got a couple of good questions. Okay. Um, so we got. How are you looking for new clients? Um, are you actively going out? Or are you waiting for them to come to you? Uh, I don't know what actively going out exactly means, but um, I I'm on Query Tracker. That's the best way to query and. Um, 
I've already received a ton of queries, but that's the main way. And I, I do have three conventions scheduled. There's this one, there's WizCon, and there's ReaderCon. Mm -hmm. So I've booked tickets for all of those. And, you know, I've posted on social media that people are welcome to pitch me at appropriate times. And so I, if I'm going out, that's how I'm going out, is that I'm being in public and I'm publicly available for people to, you know, talk to me if they want. Mm -hmm. at, of course, at appropriate times. Yeah. 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 Not, Not in the bathroom. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said you mentioned social media. I'll probably ask you at the end as well, but can you tell me where, how to get you on social media? My main one is Twitter, at Arlie Sork. Um, that's where I'm most active, but I'm very I very deliberately control how much I'm on there. I just pop in and out, so I'm not somebody who's always on there. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also on Facebook, uh, but I'm less involved there, and I don't really know how to do Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but technically I'm on Facebook. Um, but don't query via dms uh you know query through query tracker but i am on social media so i am accessible in those ways do you uh participate in pitch those pitch wars and and the various things that i, I don't know if they've done one since you started being an agent but yeah. you know what i'm talking about right is i it, do okay i can't remember what the hashtag officially is but yeah i'm i'm getting i'm sort of feeling things out so i might participate in those but i'm not yet okay. um yeah but I kind of want to feel out what is right for me um, and take it one step at a time because I don't, you know, I'm new and um, I obviously, you know, I have about 300 queries already, wow. for example. Um, and as a new agent, I can't represent 300 people. Um, <laughs> I don't so, think any agent can. I, I think right. they do. But. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are agencies that can. Yes. But, um, you know, so even if I had 10 manuscripts that I really loved, that's still too many people for me to represent at this time. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to be out everywhere. Uh, I want to take it step by step. Um, and in that way, if I do find a manuscript and an author that I think is a good fit, I can give them my full, you know, attention rather yeah. than be trying to be everywhere and do everything at once. Right. Yeah. Um, so this is a good one. Um, I, I think this, you can expand this, but what, what questions should an author be asking a new agent while they're, you know, if, if you're interested in, you know, the, the interview where you're deciding whether you want them and they're just, yeah, remember, yeah. you get to interview the agent too to decide if you're a good fit for them or they're a good yeah. fit for you, but you don't have any authors to vouch for you yet, so yeah. what should someone ask you to be confident in your um, representation? Yeah, that's a really great question, and I think, I think it, I just, want to reiterate that you know i'm just an agent and um that doesn't mean i'm the right agent for everybody mm -hmm. um and even someone who is a great agent for a friend may not be a great agent for you yes. um and fit is super super critical and so i think authors have to do everything they can to figure out if uh, everything they reasonably can to figure out if a given agent will be a good fit they should have a list you know, they should have, like, their top 15 or so, and those are the agents they should query first. And whether I'm whether or not I'm on that top 15, you know, it's entirely up to them. Um, but in terms of what questions specifically to ask, I think it really, 
I think it really comes down to who are you as an author and what is important to you as an author. Um, and that will generate the questions that you want to ask. For example, one person might want to ask, you know, uh, how are you going to develop someone's career? Mm -hmm. Another person might want to ask, you know, how are you going to make sure that you approach my work with the integrity that I need? Mm -hmm. And those are two different kinds of authors. Or an author might need both of those questions but I think first the author has to decide what is really important for them in terms of being a writer and in terms of the way that the agent handles their work or their career or whatever it is um, you know if if it's important to have fast responses to emails if that isn't important if they're more like hey I just need you to get the biggest deal you can get for me period that's all I care about and so what questions you should ask you have to really be honest with yourself about what you want as a writer. Right. And then whatever is important to you, whatever those top few things are, those are the questions you should ask me or any other agent. Okay. Um, so if you're, um, again, because you don't have clients to, to talk to, yeah. <laughs> would people be, would, would, contacting the other agents in your in your group just on your you know to talk about you is that something they could do or is that something they don't have time for or well you could talk to the other agents in my group you mean to ask them about me yes you could talk to them but the only one that really knows me is sarah mm -hmm. and we've only known each other for uh, a couple years or however long we've only hung out so many times mm -hmm. so while i have the full confidence and trust of the agency it's not like they can say that much besides you know the platitudes you might expect like, right oh yeah he's really great um he's really he's got a really sharp sense or he's got great taste or yeah. whatever you know the okay. thing yeah no, go ahead. Well, well be, you being part of the agency is yeah. their vote of approval right there. Absolutely. And the, the fact that I can sign whoever I want. Yeah, you yeah know. that's a lot of trust. It's a huge amount of trust. Um, but I think, I think if you want to know who I am, you should look at Fantasy Magazine. Yeah. Or, or my book reviews or my, um, my FNSF column. Yeah, you, you do a lot of stuff, so you're, just, yeah. you're not just some random person poking your head out of the ground. I'm not. But if you look at those different elements, I think you can really get a or even look at the things that I tweet I think if you look at those things you can get a pretty good idea of not only what I like but of who I am as a person mm -hmm. and that can help guide you you being the authors not you Merck no, no but, I gotcha yeah that can help guide you um, in terms of like if if I'm really a good fit or you, for you or not. And like, maybe I'm the last resort agent and it's like, I just need an agent at this point, which is also fine. But ideally, you know, look into those things. Fantasy is free to read. Um, FNF is, FNSF is not, but you can like pick up a couple columns and I think one or two are online. I also wrote a, an essay for Uncanny called What You Might Have Missed, um, which if you read that, you'll understand a lot about my perspective on genre on intersectionality and on a lot of other things and I think you can you can get a pretty good picture of who I am as a person what you won't get is an idea of like am I the kind of agent who if you're in a panic because you regret putting something in your book and you email me am I going to give you an e am I going to respond within two hours or within two weeks yeah that is something that you probably can't tell and that I don't honestly know because yeah. 
I don't know who I'm going to be in terms of those things, but I know yeah. who I am as a person. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so one person wants to know, if they're having trouble determining comps for their, to pitch their book, yeah. how would you suggest they go about getting those? Like, comps? Yeah. Uh, I think the most important thing to think about comps is you, I think authors often get hung up on the feeling that the comp doesn't quite exactly match their book, and that's one of the barriers. It's one of the mental barriers. They're like, yeah, but that's not quite right. And the idea of a comp isn't to exactly describe a book. It's mm -hmm. to give a general idea of the important elements of the book so that, um, so that you're giving someone a general idea or a feeling or a vibe of what the work is about. And so I think just understanding that the point isn't pure exactness but more vibe uh, that can help a lot of people. And um, I think that a lot of people also try to shoot too big. You know, mm -hmm. they're like, it's like George R. R. Martin. And then, you know, of course, everyone else is going to be like, but it, is it really? Yeah. You know, do you really think you're George R. R. Martin? Yeah. And so I think you want to use comps that are easily uh, known to a lot of people, but that uh, aren't necessarily shooting too big, you know. So, so the thing that bothers me about what I, advice I've heard about comps is people say don't, don't rec, don't mention any book that hasn't, that's older than like three years old. Yeah. And I, I guess I see the point in that because you're saying it's, it's new for the market, but I still think if you're, if you're wanting to give across the, how the book is, yeah. you know, I mean, it's like, it my is 1984 meets Blue's Clues. One is a children's TV show. One's a very old book, but you still get yeah. a sense of what I'm going for. That's and that's a really interesting comp too. And I I think the advantage of that comp that you just said, 1984 meets Blue's Clues, is it's so interesting and original and unique and evocative, and it's it stands out among a sea of comps that are basically all sound the same. Mm -hmm. And it's just like when you write a piece of fiction, like a lot of people write fiction that more or less all sounds the same. And a, a, what a lot of us want is something that is unique and different in some, in some way that it stands out from the pile. And so doing a comp like that, I think it's a great comp. At the same time, um, I just spoke with an editor who literally did say the thing about like it shouldn't be more than a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. And this is from an editor. So, um, but you know, I think I think part of an agent's job is you know bridging that gap between you and the editor. So even if you struggle to make a comp that is recent. Um, you know, hopefully if you land the agent, they can help revise your comp for an editor who might have that more stricter requirement. Uh, on the other hand, I think that um, sometimes the comps also demonstrate that you aren't writing something that is trite and unoriginal. Mm -hmm. For example, if you say, oh, it's like George, R George Martin meets Robert Jordan. It's like, so it's <laughs> like a very generic, Lots you know. Yeah, like, I get nothing, like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. There's no friction between the parts. Like, Blue's Clues meets 1984 is like, wow. Mm. You know, that really says something. And it's, like, almost tangible. Mm -hmm. But George Martin meets Robert Jordan, it's it's like, I don't know what that means except for, you know. A lot of books. and long. A lot of books, long, <laughs> and fairly standard fantasy. Yeah. Um, but it also can be indicative of that the writer doesn't know the field, hasn't been reading. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. And that maybe 
you know, that can imply uh, by extension that the book itself is not that interesting, mm-hmm. you know, or doesn't do anything that speaks to what genre is doing today. And so a comp can have, I think, nuanced layers. 1984 meets Blue's Clues. It's not just that 1984 is an old book, but that's an interesting comp. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's even in doing the comp, it speaks to your creativity and originality. Even if I don't know what the comp means, it makes me curious about the writing because I'm like, this person is fascinating, mm-hmm. and I want to see what they have to say. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah. So I think there's more to comps than just rules and restrictions. But I think uh, I think your comp. Writing, doing comps is another form of writing, and I think it's so important because it's a type of first impression. Yeah. 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 Um, so let's talk about you. What are you looking for in an author and in, in projects? Yeah, I'm just, I'm looking for, um, you know, somebody who brings something interesting and new, somebody who has a perspective that hasn't been seen over and over. Um you know, you can write, for example, you can write a witch story and you can make it very generic and feel very like something that everybody is writing in the same way, in the same approach. Or you can write a witch story that it that does something that I just didn't expect or that adds a perspective that I haven't seen or that puts some sort of spin or twist or some sort of subtext on it that just takes it to another level mm-hmm. and makes it relevant. And so... You know, it's less about subject A, B, and C or style A, B, and C. Um, technically speaking, I'm mainly looking for adult SFF, including speculative horror. So not horror that is just, uh, you know, thriller or slasher, mm-hmm. but it has to have some sort of supernatural or magical or science fictional element. Like Event Horizon is a brilliant movie, for example. Mm-hmm. I would love Event Horizon, but don't just send me 10 event. you know, yeah. but you get what I'm saying. Um, would you say T. Kingfisher is kind of writing that kind of... Yeah, I like a lot of what... Part. I like a lot of what Kingfisher does. Um, I don't know if all of it is a fit for me, but mm-hmm. that's the thing, is like, a book can be a really awesome book and not necessarily be a fit for me. And yeah. maybe maybe another agent will, will enjoy it and will sell it. I want to be able to 100% enthusiastically advocate for my author. And that means that not only do I see something in their work that is valuable but and important, but I see a potential for a career that, um, you know, this person has a lot to bring and a lot to say, and they're probably going to, you know, write more stuff, mm-hmm. short stories. Maybe they'll do a YA book. It doesn't matter. Like, they just have stories to tell, and um, they're going to add something to genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's talk about um, self-rejection. You, you mentioned oh, yes. you're looking for underrepresented Yesterday, you mentioned yes. to me that you're looking for underrepresented voices. Yeah. And unfortunately, people in those groups are often fastest to self-reject. Yes. Which, you know, for you listening may, you know, just means, oh, he's not going to want my stuff, or yeah. it, it, it's not good enough, or whatever, and, and then you don't end up submitting, and you never know what could have happened. So, yeah. how do you approach people who might be self-rejecting, even right now, as they're listening? Yeah, I, it's so important, um, because, you know, the field is full of racism, misogyny, homophobia, that's just a fact. Um, I know for a fact that there are publishers who are like, 
you know, I know somebody who was pitching a book by a black author and the publisher was like, we already have one. And that said, said book that they were referencing had been published a couple years ago. And so wow. that is a thing. Like, there's a reason why, you know, underrepresented, uh, marginalized authors, authors from marginalized communities often self-reject because on a gut level they know that these things happen mm -hmm. they can't always tell when it is that case or not um, but because it always happens that fear is always present um, and you can see in the statistics the statistics of who gets published how how much they get paid uh, in both short fiction and novels uh, tells the story mm -hmm. the, the facts are out there um, and you know when I, when I became an editor, one of the things that I realized was a lot of my favorite black authors of short fiction specifically, they never even bothered um, sending their work to a lot of the pro markets, mm -hmm. you know, because they just didn't feel like their stories would be read. They wouldn't be read right. They wouldn't be given the same chance as white authors. Right. Um, so those things are all things that happen. But... I think that even though those things are all things that happen, and it's important to know that that is a reality and to acknowledge that that is part of the business as is, I think that you can't let that stop you. It's something you don't have control of, and it's something that it's okay to have emotions about and to have fear or anger. Those are all valid, but not submitting your work only does what they want you to do. Mm -hmm. And there are individuals, there are markets, there are people who want your work who will validate you and the audience is definitely out there. The readers are definitely out there. Yeah. For, you know, trans authors, for gay authors, queer authors, for black authors, for intersectional authors, uh, authors, you know, with disabilities. And whatever your perspective is, whatever your life experiences are, the readers are out there. And um, it's so critical. Yeah, wait one second. Yeah. But it's the it's the trundling of the carts yeah. section of the afternoon. It's so critical, you know, if possible, to find agents and editors, you know, ideally, who get your perspective mm -hmm. and who will not only advocate for you, but help you to write in the way that you need to be writing. Take Tochi Onyabuchi, for example. Um, I interviewed him for Clark's World, and one of the things he talked about was how important it was to find uh, Roshi Chen as an editor who could sense that there were things he wanted to say, but that he was hesitating. And she was like, no, lean into this. Mm -hmm. Give me more of this. And it really helped him embrace who he is an, as an author and what he wanted to say. And that has helped him to develop into a very successful and thriving career. Mm -hmm. um, but it could have easily gone another way where, um, you know, where he, had an, where he had an editor who didn't give him that. And so he might have been hesitant to write in the way that he really wants to write and say the things that he really wants to say and you know it wouldn't have probably wouldn't have worked out for him as well mm -hmm. so um yeah that's very important to me is to do my best to help people to tell the stories that they really want to tell in the way that is important to them mm -hmm. you know and to maintain the integrity of those stories excellent well um I am at the end of my questions. I think I'm going to check my email one more time okay. just in case. But um, if you 
Is there anything we have not mentioned that you would like new possible people who are going to query you, possible clients, to know? I mean, just go back to, you know, I may sound great to you, but you really should do your research and figure out who your top agents are and start from there. You know, shoot for the top and then work your way down your list. Um, and it doesn't matter where I am on the list. Uh, you know, you have to think first about who, what's right for you and who is best for you. Um, and that's so important. Right. Yeah. yeah, I, I, it's, people get so hungry and they feel like they, there's, like, this is my one chance. This is yeah. the one chance I have to sign with somebody and so I better sign with them. And all that does is slow your career down. And yeah. It's, it, cause it's happened to me. I've taken the, the, oh, someone's interested in me. Yay. I'll go out on a date with you. I'm not having any fun on this date. Wait a yeah. minute. <laughs> so yeah. And yeah, it takes a while to decide, okay, was this just a fluke? Do I have to sit through a couple more months of this? And that yeah. just slows you down. So yeah. And going back to rejections and kind of touching on that as well. It's like we, we go into it, we go into the game with false ideas about how it works and how it really works is, you know, you write a book and then an agent may or may not pick you up and even if an agent picks you up they may or may not be able to sell the book mm -hmm. like I was just talking to Joshua Bilmes about who runs Jabberwocky about rejections and mm -hmm. he's like oh yeah we all have books that we just can't sell that we really want to sell it's a fact mm -hmm. like um, getting an agent does not mean you've made it and then um, you know your agent can flame out your agent could you know you might need to fire your agent your, your agent might drop you um, your agent might quit publishing yep been there <laughs> um, yeah like I know people who've been through several agents mm -hmm. I know people who sold their book and then um, the editor quit or the editor changed houses and then the publishing house you know doesn't honor the contract or you know the new editor doesn't really like the book uh like there are so many possibilities in publishing and um i was talking to a an editor earlier and he was like you know i was like you know can you give me any advice as a new agent and one of the things that he said is this is a business of rejection so even as an agent you know the expectation is you're going to see a lot of rejection mm -hmm. um so we are going to try to sell this book we're going to hit up all these editors and hopefully we'll know the editors and we'll have an understanding of what they're looking for. And that may help us to sell a book. But at the end of the day, it's always going to be about rejection and some books just won't work. Um, and as an author, if writing is important to you, you have to just keep going, mm -hmm. whatever that means. You know, if you take a break for a year because it's emotionally damaging, fine. Get back to writing when you can. Mm -hmm. Don't let it impact who you are and what you want to do. Yeah. Well, that's great. I really appreciate your time. Um, where should people find you online to learn more about you and or query you? Uh, I have a website, arliesorg.com. I'm on the KT Literary website, and uh, both of those websites have links to Query Tracker, which is the best place to query me. If you see me at a convention, you are welcome to pitch me, uh, you know, an elevator pitch, which is a concise uh, pitch. So it's not like I'm going to talk for 10 minutes yeah. about the book. It's an elevator pitch. And then, um, you know, if it sounds intriguing, if it sounds like a fit, then we might talk more about mm -hmm. it. Um, but again, you know, if it's not a fit, I'm not the only agent out there. And like you said, this isn't your one shot. It's mm -hmm. just one of the shots. Um, and it might not even be the best shot. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm just there and you pitch me 
and I'm interested. And then you realize later, oh, that's great. Like, I don't really want you anyways, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, it's a lot like dating. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it really is. Yeah. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Arlie Sorg, and I'm on Facebook. Um, yeah. And thank you so much for having me, Mer. I really appreciate it. Excellent. Thank you, Arlie. Yeah. Here's Will's question. I've written a play, and I have a producer who wants to push for it for Broadway. Can I find an agent who will represent my play as well as my fiction? I also have a comic out, and the producer wants to pitch that. I trust this person, but it's business, and I want to have a long career in all facets of writing. What are your thoughts? Thank you, Will, for the question, and let's get to Arlie for the answer. And I'm standing outside, and when Arlie answered this, he was standing outside. It's all the different noises. This is a great question. And the central concern here really is, will an agent represent multiple kinds of interests? And the answer is that it varies greatly from agent to agent and even house to house. For example, at KT Literary, we have a person who handles entertainment stuff. So as a house, KT Literary is prepared to deal with all kinds of things. We also have someone who handles graphic novels and comic books, and we have a great support network. So while we have all these different kinds of individual agents, we also have the support of each other, which makes us a more dynamic agency. Individual agents will be able to take on different kinds of projects, but a lot of agents will say, oh no, I can only do this one kind of thing. In fact, I have friends who write adult SFF, and if they want to branch out into, say, YA, which you might think is pretty close enough, um, their agent will say, actually, you need a separate YA agent. And maybe their agent, as an adult book agent, is great enough that they don't want to part ways. They'll say, okay, I'll find someone else to deal with this particular type of material, especially if it's a one-off, or, for example, for nonfiction. The, the, content, the contacts for nonfiction will be very different for fiction contacts in general. So, you know, you might have an agent who's wonderful at repping your books, but you happen to write this nonfiction book, and now you need a totally different agent. It's the same on the entertainment side. You'll have entertainment people, entertainment lawyers, who might represent your interests in entertainment, and some of them will say, sure, we'll handle your books as well, and some will say, no, we don't do that, you need to have a book agent. So it really depends, house to house, agent to agent. If you are with a big agency, you're more likely to find somebody who is full service and who can handle different kinds of interests. If it's a new agent, if it's uh, somebody who just struck out on their own, or even if it's a smaller house, you might find that you need to find a different representative depending on what kind of interest it is because maybe they don't know how to navigate that world, they don't have the contacts or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, you know, Maybe you hit up an agent who does have those contacts and that infrastructure and that network and can navigate both worlds or all three worlds or, you know, however many worlds you're looking at, but maybe they don't sign you. So half the battle is, are you going to sign with someone who has those multiple capabilities? Um, So, you know, the answer is it just really depends. 
when you're making your list of agents, you might want to put at the top of the list those agents who are with houses that can handle multiple kinds of interest or the agents who themselves can handle multiple kinds of interest. And then lower down the list might be those individual agents that are just going to handle your book and you might have to find someone else to handle other stuff for you. Thank you again, Arlie, for the interview, for your kindness at the Nebulas, and for getting us a separate comment on that last question. I'm recording this on May 31st, 2023. Next Monday, my agent, Seth Fishman, will be on Ditch Diggers live with me and Matt on twitch.tv slash If you can't make that, then subscribe to Ditch Diggers and you'll get the episode. But we're going to be talking all sorts of agent stuff. And I'm really looking forward to that. So tune into that. My books are out in bookstores. You can search for Mer Lafferty and you'll find them all. I write science fiction mystery these days. I do have a couple of urban fantasy humorous books. And I do have some IP. I have a Star Wars book and a Minecraft book. So I've written quite a bit. And remember, check out Throwback I Should Be Writing. Or should it be, should it be I Should Be Writing Throwback? Throwback, I should be wrong. I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'll figure it out. Because I'm going to be listening to all these old episodes and giving them to you with my commentary. Because, you know, I needed to put another podcast on my plate. Anyway, I'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. If you want to support via Patreon, that's patreon.com slash mightymer. All the show notes and links will be at merverse.com. I've submitted my podcast to so many directories across the world. I'm hoping that it's going to be reaching new listeners. So if you're new, welcome. And you can do this because you should be writing. I Should Be Writing is available to you under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives license. Theme music by John Anilio. Art by Numbers Ninja. Production by Summer Brooks. And hosting by Libsyn. Find all of this information and more at merverse.com. And remember, we can't do this without you. Thanks for your support. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.